Please have your Bibles open to 1 Corinthians. We'll be in chapter 10 this morning. Sharon and I have enjoyed exploring Annapolis this summer. Uh, We've discovered what a great place this is to live, and, and that's just added to our joy of being here. But I have to confess that we have discovered one of Annapolis's more sinful locations. Uh, The den of iniquity that I refer to is one that some of you may be familiar with. Um, It's known as Maggie Moose. (laughs) Confess how many have been to Maggie Moose. I'm not alone this morning. When you walk into that innocent-looking place, there's just a staggering array of decisions, aren't there? And you've got to decide whether you want to shake a sundae or a cone, And there's a dozen flavors of ice cream and, what, 20, 25 toppings? And then, you know, do you throw the brownie in on top of it? I mean, it just, you know, a lot of decisions to make when you go to Maggie Moo's. In truth, though, it probably really does not matter in any way what choices we make at Maggie Moo's. Whether we have a shake or a sundae or chocolate or vanilla or sprinkles or fudge, that's really not a decision that has much consequence to it. And every day we make decisions that are just like that. Choices that we make that really don't have much consequence to them. It really doesn't matter whether we wear a brown shirt or a blue shirt. It probably really doesn't matter whether we had cornflakes for breakfast or bacon and eggs. You can tell I haven't been in Battle Creek in a long time. (laughs) Those kinds of decisions are insignificant. They're matters of indifference. And one choice really is about as good as another. But then, there's another class of decisions that we make that are important, that do make a difference. In the course of our day, we make decisions that have an impact on our future. Some of our decisions have an impact on the ones that we love, on their future, or on their well-being, or on their security. The consequences of such choices make a great difference in our lives and in the lives of those that we love. But then, there's a third class of decisions. Those are decisions that are eternally important. Matters of choice still, but choices with serious and eternal consequences to them. We make choices between good and evil. We make decisions of faithfulness in Christian living. In a given situation, are we going to act like Christian people or not? Of course, there is the most important decision that anybody ever makes, and that is whether or not we will obey the gospel. Those decisions are of greatest importance because they have eternal consequences. Make the certain decision and we will have an eternal reward in heaven. Make a different decision and we will have eternal punishment in hell. And all of us face those decisions. Every day... We face those kinds of decisions. So how do we make such decisions? Especially the difficult ones. Especially the ones 
that have such great consequence. Perhaps before we do anything else, we need to consider those decisions in prayer, to lay out the choices before God, to ask Him for His guidance, for His help in making good decisions. Prayer is an expression of faith. It is the expression of our confidence that that He will guide us, that He will show us what is right. And so prayer is always an important first step. Another way of making those decisions is to search the Scriptures. Perhaps we struggle with the decision because we really don't know what God's will is. And maybe in our reading we can find something from God that will give us direction. But then there are cases when we don't find a specific answer in Scripture. Perhaps we can apply some of the broad guidelines that the Bible establishes for making decisions. For example, in the book of Romans, in chapter 14 and verse 23, we are told that whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. As we make choices, what alternatives can we make out of faith, in faith, with faith? And which ones do we make that have other motives, and are those motives godly ones? Paul tells the Colossians in chapter 3 and verse 17 that whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Here, as we face a decision, we can ask ourselves, what choice can I make that I could make in Jesus' name? Could I have confidence that this is how Jesus would want me to decide? Which ones would he disapprove? Which ones could I make with thanksgiving that that I made the choice, that, that God helped me? But then there is a third passage that helps us with making decisions. And it's the one we're going to spend time with this morning. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 23. Please read along with me. 1 Corinthians 10, beginning in verse 23. Paul writes, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat what is, whatever is sold in the marketplace, in the meat market, without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you're disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me.
as I am of Christ. In verse 23 and 24, Paul is setting out a general principle for making decisions. The passage comes at the end of his discussion of the problem of eating meat sacrificed to idols, a question that was troubling the Corinthian church. Some Christians in Corinth didn't believe that there was anything wrong at all with going to an idol temple and eating the meat that had been offered to the idol. They were convinced that idols were nothing, and they believed that they are free to eat whatever they please to eat. That eating is a matter of indifference. But in the course of the argument, Paul says they are wrong on two counts. First, they're wrong because they are doing things in eating that are causing Christian, other Christians to be lost. And the second reason that they are wrong is that in participating in those meals, they are having fellowship with demons. At the root of the Corinthians' struggle over eating meat sacrificed to idols is a belief that's set out in verse 23. Everything is permissible. In more modern terms, we might say, I have a right to do whatever I want to do. Matters of indifference. You see, the Corinthians were very American when it came to their rights and their convictions. Now, Paul does not deny that there are matters of indifference. He doesn't disagree with the fact that there are some decisions that, that are of no consequence in which we are free as Christians to make those choices. But he also insists that while that's true, it is also true that not every choice we might make is beneficial. He would also say that not everything we decide to do is profitable or advantageous or helpful. The Corinthians and ourselves may have a right to do certain things, but the exercise of that right may hurt others. And that should have an impact on the decisions that they make. Again, he says everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Not every decision we make will build up and edify. There are areas in which as Christians we are afraid to make, free to make decisions, but our choices may not help our brothers and sisters or have some negative impact on them. They may not be strengthened because of the things that we choose to do. And in that case, Paul is saying those choices are not right. So how do we make sure that our choices are beneficial and uplifting? Well, Paul answers that by saying, Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. That's the principle. That's the principle that he sets out here. Paul called on the Philippians to look beyond their own interests to the interests and the concerns of others. He says of himself in 1 Corinthians 9 that he gave up his freedom to be a slave to everyone. That he gave himself to winning the lost as many as he could. And so when he came to dealing with Jewish people, he decided to do things that were Jewish. When he was among Gentile people, all of his choices were those that a Gentile might make. And he urges them to do that in their relationship with each other. He urged the Romans to please their neighbors and not themselves. Because Christ himself 
did not seek to please himself. Jesus went so far as to do good for others, to please others, that he laid down not just his rights, but Jesus laid down his very life. The cross is the place where our salvation was accomplished. But the cross is also the model, the example, the explanation, the definition of discipleship and Christian living for making Christian choices. Jesus surrendered himself. When he went to the cross, he was seeking our good, not his. He didn't need the cross for himself. We needed him to die on the cross. As we make decisions and choices and as we try to determine what God's will is, the true course, the true path, the true choices are always the ones that are on the road to the cross. The road of sacrifice and service. So we ask, in what I'm about to choose, how may I best serve others? In what I'm about to choose, what will be the most beneficial choice? Who will be built up by the decision that I make? Well, Paul wants to make sure the Corinthians understand what he has just said. And so he gives them three examples in verse 25 to 30. Understand that Paul is not dealing with some pie-in-the-sky hypothetical situation, but a real issue that was troubling the Corinthian church. The issue of meat sacrificed to idols, an issue of freedom and choice. Paul's examples hold up the idea that there is freedom and there are rights. But he also applies the principle of verse 24. So here's his first example. Paul considers, what do you do about going to the marketplace and buying meat for a meal that you're going to eat? Should a Christian go to the market and buy meat and bring it home to eat? Is that a choice we should make? Now to us, that's not a question, is it? And the answer is obvious. Sure, why not? There's, there's no consequence to doing that. But for the Corinthians, the problem was significant because of the source of the meat. In first century Corinth, if you wanted to buy meat, you had to go to a certain place in the marketplace where meat was sold. And the meat that was sold there came from the temples around the marketplace. Some of the meat that was offered to the idols was eaten there in the temples, but most of it was brought to the city marketplace. And if you wanted to have some kind of meat with a meal, that's where you went and that's what you bought. It's been sacrificed to idols It's been shared in the fellowship meals of the temple. And so here's the question. Can a Christian eat meat that is sacrificed to idols? Now, Jewish people had a swift and unequivocal answer, and it was no. If it had been offered to a god, it was unclean. And a Jewish person would not eat it. But Paul gives a very different answer for Christians. And his answer is, go buy the meat, take it home and cook it, and eat it and enjoy it. And don't worry about where it came from. And he gives scriptural support for that. He turns to the first verse of Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. It doesn't matter to God 
where that meat was before the Christian bought it. He created it for their nourishment and well-being, and they could eat it without concern. But then he takes up a second example, a second situation where this is an issue. What if an unbeliever, what if an idol-worshiping unbeliever comes up to you and says, I want you to come to my house today for dinner. We're going to grill some steaks and, and we want you to come and enjoy them with us. Does a Christian go? I mean, he's going to the house of an unbeliever and they're going to eat meat that's sacrificed to idols. Can a Christian do that? Can you make that choice? Again, a Jewish person would have said, no, you can't do that. You can't have that kind of fellowship. But Paul says, if you want to go, go. And if you want to eat that meat, eat the meat. And don't raise questions about where it came from or questions about conscience about this. Just go and enjoy it. There's freedom to do that. Enjoy what God has given. There are things that we can do that that are neither right nor wrong in themselves. They don't change our relationship with God. We are right with God if we do them, and we're right with God if we don't do them. The two examples that Paul has just given fall in that category. But the difficulty arises when we have to take into account other people and how they're affected by the decision. And that's what Paul explains in his third example. Now he goes on to show another situation where the principle of verse 24 applies. The Christian has accepted an invitation to a non-Christian's home. And the meat that's served is meat that's been offered to idols. But as everybody's standing around talking and getting ready to share this meal, somebody walks up to, a non-Christian walks up to the Christian and says, Did you know that came from a temple and it was sacrificed to idols? Now what do you do? You've been warned about what it is. Paul says, don't eat it. Now wait a minute, we just said there was a freedom to do that. You could eat that if you took it home. You could eat that at an unbeliever's house. But now he says, if somebody warns you about it, don't eat it. Why? Paul says, for conscience sake. Not meaning the Christian's conscience, but the unbeliever's conscience. The word in verse 28 that goes is translated offered in sacrifice is not the usual word for offered in sacrifice that Paul and other Jewish people would have used. This is what pagan people would call it. Literally, it means holy food. It's what idol worshippers use when they referred to meat sacrifice to idols. And so Paul is saying the pagan non-Christian has said, this has been offered to an idol, this has been sacrificed, and he's thinking of it as a pagan thinks of it, not as a Jew would or not as a question. But somehow he has heard that Jewish people don't eat this kind of meat. And somewhere he's gotten the idea that Christians don't eat it either. And so he has acted out of that understanding to try to protect you from doing something that's wrong. So if you go ahead and you eat the meat, then you've violated what he understands. 
You've done something that he doesn't think Christians are supposed to do. And that will cause a problem with him. And it may even keep him from obeying the gospel. So Paul says the best thing to do is to eat the french fries and don't worry about the steak. Eat the vegetables, but don't worry about, don't eat the meat. All of that meat, all of this without meat sacrificed to idols seems so far removed to, to us. It's not anything that you and I ever have to deal with. And yet it does come very close to us in this way. And that is, we don't live alone. We don't live in isolation from each other. We live the Christian life in fellowship with each other. We are family in Christ Jesus. We are family by His blood. And not only that, but we live among and around people who are not Christians. And Paul is saying that we do have a responsibility before God for the consequences of our choices and our actions on other people. There may be circumstances in which we are free as far as God is concerned to make a certain kind of decision. But if our decision is going to hurt someone, cause someone to be lost, we are to use that same freedom and refrain from doing. To refrain from making that choice. Now, we may be thinking what Paul thought the Corinthians were thinking in verse 29. Why should my liberty or my freedom be determined by somebody else's conscience? If I choose to eat a meal and give God thanks for it, why should anybody condemn me for that? Why should we be concerned about others if it's a matter of indifference and freedom? After all, we can't realistically let everybody else dictate how we're going to live. And again, Paul's answer to that is the cross. Jesus served others. He did what others needed, even though it cost him his freedom and his life. And so whether it suits our ideals of rights and freedom, the cross is still the path of discipleship. The cross still tells us how to make decisions. So we ask ourselves, what does the cross demand of the choices I make? That's a pressing question that we have to ask ourselves as we make our decisions. Whatever our decision, we must consider what help or what hurt it might cause. What, what strength or what weakness will it give someone else? Will it encourage or will it cause others to fall away? Finally, Paul shows us a very specific way to apply the general principle. That's the conclusion of the matter in 10.31 to 11.1. Again, the general principle Paul is explaining is stated in verse 24. Nobody should seek his own good but the good of others. One way to live out this principle in our decisions is that whatever decision we make, we make it to the glory of God. We do everything for the glory of God. Whatever we do, whatever choice we make, whatever course of action we choose, Paul says, choose the one that will give God the glory, that will bring Him praise because of what you've done. If I have two choices, 
and other things being equal, but one will give God greater glory. Even if both alternatives are right, Paul says you still choose the one that will bring praise to God. You still choose the one that will bring Him glory. And certainly choosing not to exercise our freedom for the good of someone else, to protect them, is something that brings glory to God. A second way that we obey this principle is that we don't cause anyone to stumble. And Paul means anyone. He says, do not give offense to Jews or to Greeks or to brothers in Christ or to sisters in Christ. If a choice that we're going to make is going to cause someone to be lost, if a choice that we're going to make will cause another Christian to fall away. The choice is clear, Paul says. Don't do it. Don't make that choice. Don't choose that option. Even if on another scale, it is within your freedom to do so. It may be a matter of freedom and indifference. But if a soul is lost, it is always the wrong choice. Paul says of himself that he lived by these principles. He says, I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, verse 33. I don't know about you, but I don't think most of us trust people who always try to please everybody else. We elect them to Congress, but we don't trust them. (laughs) But Paul is no butterfly flitting around trying to make everybody happy. He's saying that what he does in his life is that he works as hard as he possibly can to save as many people as he can. And in doing that, he's not concerned about his rights. He's not concerned about his freedoms or his desires or his own good. What he is concerned about is the good of others, the salvation of others. And he's saying, I try to make every decision I made consistent with that. I try to make all of my decisions so that they will advance that cause in some way. And then why is he so concerned? Because there are so many that need salvation. There are so many who need saving. Christ's whole life was given to this purpose. All that Jesus did in his ministry and in going to the cross was given to the purpose of working out salvation. And Paul is simply saying, I'm following Christ in this and you need to do the same. You need to do the same in the way you make choices. So when we have a decision to make, pray about it. Spend a lot of time in prayer, down on your knees kind of prayer. When we need to know what God's will for us is, search the scriptures. See what God has revealed to us about his will. Ask ourselves what choice will be best for others that are involved. What will be the best choice for my husband or for my wife or for my children, for my brothers and sisters in Christ? Second, what choice can I make that will bring God glory, that will result in his being praised? What can I do that will honor him and praise him the most? Self-sacrifice out of a loving heart always honors and praises God. It always pleases him. Third, if I make a choice, will it cause other Christians to stumble? If I choose to go someplace, or I choose to buy something, or I choose to live someplace, is that going to have a negative impact on my brothers and sisters? 
Will it somehow cause them to stumble? Or fourth, will my decision or action keep someone from obeying the gospel? Or to put that one positively, can I make a choice that will help other people become Christians? That will have a positive influence on others? And fifth, in what choice can I be most like Jesus? In the choices that I have to make, which ones will make me most like Jesus? Where does the cross of Jesus call me? You know, Paul writes to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. And they're having a real battle in the church in Philippi between two sisters. From the perspective of what we would find in Jesus. He chose to give up everything and to be obedient even when that obedience took him to the cross. Remember that Jesus, before he hung on the cross, knelt in the garden. And three times, three times, he asked his heavenly Father to let this cup of suffering pass from him. That was Jesus' choice. That's what Jesus wanted to do. And he had the freedom to get up out of the garden and go out the back gate and never go to the cross. If he didn't, then his sacrifice wouldn't, if he hadn't had that freedom, his sacrifice wouldn't have meant anything. And that's what he wanted to do. He didn't want to go to the cross. But what did Jesus say three times? Not my will, but your will be done. He drank the cup of suffering and he died on the cross. We may face difficult decisions in our lives. It may not always be easy to know what God's will is. And it may even be harder to do as well. And to be honest, we may not want to do God's will. All of us face that choice. But understand this, that the most difficult choices that we have to make, the most difficult decisions that we have to make, are never as hard as the decision that Jesus made in the garden when he said, I don't want this cut, but your will be done. Nothing that you're going to ever have to decide is as difficult as that. And if we seek God's will as earnestly as Jesus did, if we commit ourselves to living in God's will as Jesus committed himself, yes, it may lead us to difficult choices. We may even end up on a cross. But we need to remember, too, that resurrection morning dawned. And Jesus rose from the dead to the working out of our salvation and to the glory of God. And as we seek God's will in our decisions, as we seek to honor Him and to bless others in what we do, we can count on Him being with us, on Him blessing our godly decisions and upholding us because of our faithful obedience. So let's be prayerful. Let's be people who turn to Scripture for guidance. And let's follow the example of Jesus and the teaching of Paul as we make decisions. May God bless our decisions to his glory. We want to finish now with a song of encouragement. Maybe somebody who's made a decision today to obey the gospel or a decision to come back to the Lord when you've wandered away. We're singing this to your encouragement and we invite you to come while we sing together. Please stand.